Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jesse Gaskell, and this is Mike Sweeney. Hi, I'm Mike Sweeney. We're writers on The Conan Show. And we talk about it. Ad nauseum. (laughs) (laughs) No, we talk about the inner workings, the dramas, Mm -hmm. the office romances. No, we haven't really talked about that, but I would like to someday. I would love more office romances. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, there have been some marriages. Oh, that's true. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, there have. And probably a few things we maybe haven't heard about. Yeah. Because we'd go to HR. (laughs) First, we'd have to get an HR. That's right. <laughs> and then report. How have you been? I've been okay. We started working on the uh, DIY Conan. Oh, right. That's where we put together an episode of Conan and put it online and asked fans to recreate the entire show. That's so cool. How do they do it? Well, they divvied the show up into like 30-second chunks, and you can pick one that strikes your fancy and recreate it any way you want. Sort of like adopting a highway. Exactly. You just get your little mile of highway and get to beautify it. You get to clean up the Conan. (laughs) Some people just, you know, reenact it or they use puppets or they do some amazing animation. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's. I'm worried it's going to look better than what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when do we get to see this? Uh, I believe it's airing September. I've got to double check the date. Shoot. Should I call Beth right now and find out the date? Sure. Yeah, get Beth on the horn. Hi, Beth. It's Mike Sweeney. You're on speakerphone. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay, we're taping an episode of Inside Conan. Ask if she's heard of it. Jesse wants to know if you've heard of heard of this podcast. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah, she's a big fan. Well, we had a question. We were just talking about DIY Conan. What's the air date for that show? I think it's the week of September 21st is like what we have right now, but there's no like... Um, I think like end of September. I think it's good to keep people on their toes. I mean, it's not like anyone's using dates anymore anyway. Sometime in September, the DIY show will be on TV. That's right. No, the last week of September. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. And we have a great show today. We do. I was very excited to meet this writer and performer, Ashley Nicole Black. Yes, she was a pleasure to talk to. And if any listeners out there are interested in how people come to writing for television or writing in general, she has a great backstory. The transition she made, which she talks about. 
It's one of the most interesting I've ever heard. It's a good one. And she's written for Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, so she's also had experience writing for Late Night. Right. But right now she's on a black lady sketch show, which is, wow, is, I, I think it's a great show. It's really funny. It's so funny. And it's so dense with jokes. Really funny. And great endings to the sketches, which is, the, I think, the hardest thing to do yeah. is, is stick a good landing on a sketch. But a lot of the sketches go off in a different direction towards the end that I I never see coming. Yeah, they don't just end with someone pulling out a gun and shooting everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we had a great time talking to Ashley and here she is, Ashley Nicole Black. Ashley Nicole Black, thanks so much for being here. Real quick, are you, have you always been a three-namer? Yeah. Ashley Nicole, yeah. Yeah, Black people, we want to have as many names as we can. (laughs) Why stop at three? Certainly you have more up your sleeve. My parents actually couldn't agree on my name. One wanted Ashley and one wanted Nicole. Ah. And so here we are. That's a good compromise. So does, does one parent call you Ashley and the other calls you Nicole? They both call me Ashley, but what's really funny is like they really fought over it and really thought they picked something super original. <laughs> but every Ashley is named Ashley Nicole, like oh. specifically. Oh my God, that's great. There was like years ago a Facebook group of Ashley Nicole Blacks, and there were hundreds. <laughs> But you're their leader now. You're the most famous Ashley Nicole Black. There's a weight loss lady named Ashley Nicole Black. She was number one on Google for a while, and it took me a couple years to beat her. What a great motivator to have someone else out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashley, we're, I'm, I mean, we're both fans of yours. We, yes. You've had a, a wonderful writing career and performing career on amazing shows, and I love you're on Twitter. But we have talked so much about the writing process on Conan on this podcast, and we thought it'd be interesting to hear about what it's like on other late night shows and other sketch shows. So we do want to get to that, but maybe we can start further back than that and hear kind of your comedy story and how you got into writing comedy. I mean, I think the same way everybody else did. I dropped out of a PhD at Northwestern. (laughs) (laughs) They're all writers now. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, how far along were you in the program? Very far. I'm um, ABD, which is all but dissertation. So at the end. Do you have relatives? This happens a lot with people going to comedy. Is there a relative or relatives who are like, what are you doing this? Just go back and finish. Get that degree. Be a doctor. <laughs> I think I won over the last one like this year. <laughs> I finally got there. Oh, good. Well, that's your other motivation. I mean, that was a motivation for me to be successful because my parents wanted me to go to grad school and they just kept sending me grad school programs. <laughs> brochures. Yeah, no, really. (laughs) I feel like your family accepts comedy once you're at the point where you don't need to borrow money anymore. Like, (laughs) Right. All of a sudden. Yeah. And even then they're probably like, are you, are you borrowing money from someone else? And you're just (laughs) no, I'm making a living. It sounds like it really was a genuine, just, you were obviously passionate about comedy, but was there also an element of Like you started looking around and seeing that it was really hard to get hired as a professor places. I mean, it it used to be like a PhD just opened so many doors. And now I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I part of I went to grad school because I didn't know what I wanted to do, like a lot of people. And yeah, the life of a professor seems like very stable, like, oh, once you get that PhD, you get tenure, you're set for life. And that's no longer the case. 
So I was doing Second City while I was doing the PhD program and kind of like doing shows at night, getting up and teaching in the morning and kind of having this weird back and forth. And then it was like, well, comedy's so unstable and I'm probably not going to like get famous because that's our weird barometer for success. <laughs> There's no other job where you're like, I should be an accountant unless I could be a famous accountant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to be recognized on the street. Yeah. <laughs> but then once I looked at it, it was like, okay, so as a professor, you can be an adjunct and making very little money and having to move to a different university every year and have a super unstable life. Yeah. The same is true for comedy, but I enjoy comedy. So I might as well <laughs> enjoy being broke. And that was kind of when I finally made that push. Yeah. What's the uh, the latest night you're out at like Second City? And then how early did you have to be in that classroom the next day? I t- taught a 9am class. And I was also I started grad school, I went straight out of college. So I was, uh, you know, a year or a couple years older than my students. And I was just like rolling into class hungover and people would be like, who's the professor? And I'd be like, me guys, what's up? (laughs) But I was drinking with you last night. (laughs) And were you like, we're gonna do zip zap zap? No way. I'm sorry. I actually did a lot of improv because what ended up happening was like I had a couple athletes in my first class that I taught and then coaches started specifically sending their athletes to me (laughs) to the hungover professor. Yeah. (laughs) So I did do improv games with them, just trying to help them like get comfortable in their bodies. Did you when you were at Second City, did you keep under wraps what your day gig was or did you talk about that with with the friends or the people you met at Second City? Yeah, I talked about it. It was really weird because like everybody's waiting tables and my version of waiting tables was like teaching at a university. Yeah, you're like, oh, my day gig. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) Let you into the club. Although with tips, they might have made more money. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. (laughs) And even probably scarier, did you keep doing improv to yourself with people you worked with at the college somewhat yeah yeah they were not into it at all like and i was a i did performance studies but there are types of performance that are worth studying and types that are not you know and improv is not (laughs) yeah improv was solidly on the not side (laughs) oh wow that's wild it must have been great when you left that program, did you feel, when you left the PhD program, did you feel like you were at a point where you could let them know what you were going to do? Or did you still feel like you were finding your way in the comedy world at that time? I was definitely still finding my way. And I definitely like took a sabbatical and then took a longer sabbatical. So it was like a slow slow breakup. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So from that point you were doing improv. I read somewhere that you did second city on a cruise ship. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) how long were you out to sea? I was only out for um, two and a half months. That's a long time on a ship. That's a long time. Only (laughs) the contracts are four months. Is it like Sea Org in Scientology? (laughs) I mean, yes, in the sense that they're like, these guards are in charge and whatever they tell you to do, you have to do. And like, as a comedian, you're like, I'm not used to this. (laughs) Like, the sea has laws. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like the performer contracts were four months. Other people who work on the ship have like nine month or two year long contracts. Like you really live there. 
in my head, if I had one bad show, I would jump overboard rather than have to <laughs> see those same people for another 10 days or, you know, you know, I will say it's very hard to have a bad show right. because it's sketch. So there's sketches that they've been doing for years that they know work ah. and then short form improv, which sort of like always works. Oh, right. Okay. Great. Yeah. And also there's strength in numbers. It's not like I, I'm, I was in the stand up head thinking of like, oh, yeah. it's just you. So everyone, when they see you in the hallway after you bombed, goes, there he is. I'm just imagining. Never again. We're picking the magician. Right, exactly. <laughs> and were you also writing sketches at that point? Or did the troupe sort of already had their set of sketches? Um, on the ship, oh no. They're, it's very controlled. Like these are the sketches that can go on a ship. They've been focused, tested, and worked right. out wow. long before you get there, which is why I say it's hard to have a bad show. They're not going to offend anybody. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, they're actually really good at like just skirting that line where it feels fun and dangerous for the audience, but you couldn't possibly offend anyone. Right. But it doesn't feel like milk toast. And we would do like an adults only show, Ooh. which like you can't talk about politics, but every sex joke you can work in there, go for it. Right. <laughs> so after that, you were back in Chicago again. And at what point did you realize that you wanted to write for like a variety show. Pretty much after that, I actually came out to LA after that. And I knew that a lot of people out of Second City got late night gigs. So I was writing pilots, but also like trying to do those packets just because I knew that like late night might be my way in and it ended up being so. Yeah. And then it was your first gig on uh, Samantha B. Yeah. Wow. So did you move to New York? Yes. So I had just moved to L.A. and then I moved to New York. Oh, wow. <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's always how you get a job is if you either have a giant non-refundable trip planned. Yes. <laughs> like or you've just spent a lot of money moving somewhere. <laughs> always. Yes. <laughs> wow, cool. So that's a pretty good first gig. You won an Emmy there, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yes. Congratulations. congratulations. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. For for writing, which is terrific. I, I know people know, like, especially with the comedy variety shows or the late night shows, you can get nominated for best show, but then also the writing staff can get their own Emmy nomination for the writing. So yeah. And among writers, that's the real. Yeah. Award yeah. To win. yeah. That's, that, that's the one you want. And when you started at Samantha B, did you, was there an inkling for you that you wanted to also perform on the show? Cause you did end up doing, you were sort of a correspondent on the show. Not at all, actually. And this is something that I like tell people because when I obviously at Second City, you have to write to perform. So everybody's a writer performer. That was how I learned to do it. It was the only thing I knew. And when I started applying for writing jobs, I like literally sat myself down in a quiet room and was like, do you have it in you to just write jokes for someone else? And they're going to get all the laughs and they're going to get famous and they're going to be the one who the newspaper says they said something funny the next day when it was your thing that you wrote. Can you handle that? And if not, then don't go get one of these jobs. And I really decided to myself that I could do it, especially because it was Sam and I was such a big fan of hers. And I was so invested in a woman being in that space and Sam particularly that I decided like I can do this I can just write and be in the background and not perform at all and then a couple months into it she asked me to perform but I think <laughs> but only because you weren't asking for it probably. exactly I don't think that would have happened because you can feel that energy when someone's like I wish it was me and yes it's a hard energy to be around sometimes it's it's, it's kind of like eh, eh, eh. yeah it it's 
it can be then you start avoiding people like that, you know, which. Yeah. Whereas I went into it with like, I'm a hundred percent only here to realize this woman's vision and, right. you know, do that up until you don't want to do it anymore and then leave. <laughs> you can't be trying right. to get anything else done on a late night show than that. So in that short window, when you were just writing for her, did you enjoy here having someone else get the, the laughs? Yes. Yeah. You still get the credit. Yeah. It's, still, I, it's fun, I think. Yeah. I love standing in the audience on tape day and like hearing people laugh at stuff. Yeah. Sam's also, I think this is true of Conan as well. They're so good at delivering a line that even something that you knew was going to kill, the way it comes out of her mouth is even better right. than you could imagine. And it's just like seeing your work elevated by an amazing performer is the best feeling in the world. That's great. And also, as a woman of color, sometimes there's things you wish white ladies would say and you can write them down and have them <laughs> say it. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's true. I, I mean, Samantha's always been, you know, she's an edgy comic. But how did you feel about having, like, pushing her into covering more racial topics and... I mean, was that something that you set out to do or did it just sort of happen naturally? Um, the show was always going to be that. And that was part of what attracted me to it. Like when I read the packet and the way they described what they wanted the show to be, I knew that I would have a place in it. So it wasn't much of a push. I don't feel like I ever had to push her on a story, but there would be things that maybe I'm more aware of than she is. And it's like explaining to her, this is what it is. Right. One of the funniest <laughs> things that ever happened on that show was there was something that Paul Ryan was doing. And I had written the punchline that Paul Ryan says, fuck bitches, get money. And Sam read it in rehearsal and it killed. And then we go to rewrite and she's like, I just don't know if we should call Paul Ryan a fuck bitch. And I was like, what? <laughs> Because we're saying he's a fuck bitch and he's getting money. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. The whole thing is the quote. Fuck bitches, comma, get money. Right, right. <laughs> so there's like, It depends where the comma is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the comma is critical. <laughs> there's like funny moments like that where it's like, oh, let me explain to you what this joke is. But I don't feel like I ever had to push her on anything. There's a really funny sketch I saw that you were in, which is uh, it was a parody of Antique Roadshow. But instead it was white people coming through and with heirlooms or things from their, their family that they were like, is this racist that I have this? <laughs> yes. And you're like, uh, yes. Let me explain how it's, it's very funny. Yeah. That actually started as a bit way before we did it on TV that we would do in the room where it's just like, how many steps does it take you to get from a normal everyday thing to that thing is racist. Almost everything is racist. If you go back far enough. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com.
Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more. Were you glad to have an improv background, even for pitching stuff in the room at Samantha B? Yeah, both the improv background and at Second City, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Getting used to hearing no, I think is really important for a writer. And so you would pitch and you would just have to keep pitching until you got something in the show. And then sometimes you'd get something in the show and it would play in front of an audience and maybe play medium to bad. And then it would be out and you'd have to come up with something else. So having that be the environment that I came up in, I think... When I got to Sam B, I wasn't precious about pitches and I would come in with a lot of pitches with the expectation that I'm going to hear no a couple times. So let me come in, you know, with like a lot of ammunition. Yeah. So that was great preparation for that job, that improv background. I mean, you're bringing up a really good point, I think, which is I don't think a lot of people when they watch a show realize the low percentage rate of pitching ideas Versus how many get on, what what percentage actually make it on the show. Yeah, I always say it's like at least 90-10 things that I pitch that don't make the show. (laughs) Yeah, and then I wonder how it is for you guys, but on that show, because it's so news-based, you could also write whole pieces. Like you could write a seven-minute piece that then got trashed because the news changed. So there's a big percentage of pitches that don't make it. And then like a smaller, but still pretty hefty percentage of whole written pieces that don't make it. Oh, wow. Yeah, we do have that as well, but it's usually not like a seven minute produced bit would hopefully at some point have gotten cut before you actually finish. (laughs) (laughs) Someone would mercifully step in. (laughs) Do you ever have those things where you're like, somebody please cut this? Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Somebody please. (laughs) Oh my God. You're sending articles to the head writer like, I think maybe this is too close to something another show did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That was my favorite thing is is getting something greenlit and going in going, I don't, you know, and start giving all these reasons it wasn't going to work. And they're like, well, okay. And I'd be like, oh, thank God. Time for lunch. (laughs) This is very nuts and bolts, but can I ask, do you pitch your own pitches or do you send them all in? Because on our show, the head writer reads a stack of pitches kind of in this his same monotone. <laughs> yes. So I have friends on shows who have said that and that's yeah. so strange to me. I on both the variety shows I worked on, we pitch for you pitch your own pitch. And me being a writer performer, I want to pitch my own pitch. I'm going to give you yeah. a whole razzle dazzle. <laughs> like let's get this pitch made. That's great. Well, and sometimes I think that sells the pitch when it might not get in just on the page. It needs to come alive. Yeah, or sometimes there's like a little question that like you would say no to the pitch or you would ask that question. It would totally open up to you and you would understand it. You know what I mean? Whereas like sometimes when things are in writing or someone else is saying them and you don't have the opportunity to ask that question, then it's an, you just say no. Right. Whereas here they, they know exactly who to address the question to. Cause yeah. you, you just pitched it. So yeah. <laughs> Why are we calling Paul Ryan a fuck bitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse, how do you feel? about that system when the head writer reads all the ideas out 
Plus, they're all anonymous. He doesn't say whose ideas they are. So uh, that's an interesting wrinkle to this as well. It's it's the opposite. Although so, you know certain people's voices, so you can. <laughs> oh yeah, I love guessing whose is whose. Everyone's guessing whose bit it is anyway. But so did you email them to him? Yeah, we emailed them, and then the writer's assistant compiles them all, and then we get to hear him do like a cold read, which is always <laughs> yeah. hilarious. And we then we find out the words he doesn't know how to pronounce. <laughs> oh my god. That that was, used to happen to me. Funny ones. Awful. Very embarrassing. Yeah, where he'll be like melancholy. You're like, I oh. really never said melancholy before. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, when would you have? Think about exactly. it. <laughs> I know there's plenty of words that I've never said out loud, but I've read them. Right. Yeah, no, I think I was relieved because I was also coming on to a staff of writers who had been there for 10 to 20 years already before I got there. And so it was very intimidating to be in that room. There are some people who come into the room their first day and are incredibly confident. And I'm like, wow, wow. I mean, I started with on the same day as someone else who I knew. And I, I feel like uh, this great writer, Jonathan Groff, I felt like if he wasn't there, I would have just folded up at my tent. Cause he was kind of like someone I could talk to at the end of the day. Cause I was yeah. so intimidated by everyone else. And you could be like, is it just me or? Right, 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 right. Yeah. I took a class um, with Mick Napier and one of his pieces of advice was like, this is at the second city. He was like, nobody retires from the second city, which is true. It's kind of like a young man's game. And so he's like, you're gonna get fired at some point. So you might as well make it happen as soon as possible (laughs) Um, (laughs) and get fired for being yourself. So like, instead of, hanging back and being shy and trying to figure out what they want and doing that, just be a hundred percent yourself. And if yourself is not what's needed here, leave as quickly as possible. Wow. And I kind of took that on. Um, I think, yeah, it works in shows. It works in dating. Like, Right. Be yourself. It might make it end quicker, but it was going to end either No, that's way. true. Yeah. You're not just prolonging something that's like limping along. Yeah. When you started at, at Sam B, had that show already been going or were, were you all starting out together, which would might make it more like all getting to know each other at the same time? Or were you renting an established show already? We were all starting together, but half of that staff had come from The Daily Show. So they Uh, did have kind of an established thing going. Yeah. So they were like, well, on The Daily Show, we did it like this. Right. (laughs) And I'd be like, well, on nothing, we did it like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in my PhD program, we would have approached it. Yeah, probably none of them had PhDs or almost PhDs. Um, how was it writing for the, uh, correspondence dinner? So much fun. And so the, the day that we did it is probably like the most fun I've ever had as a performer, but I also have like few memories because I don't think we slept for a week. Like, oh, wow. we just like all move into a hotel together and kind of like write all night. Right. And then I have to get up at 5 a.m. for hair and makeup. You know what I mean? So it just feels like a week-long blur of working, but culminating in one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Yeah, and I mean, it absolutely killed. (laughs) So you really kind of, it sounds like it was a very compressed period of time over which you wrote and shot it and edited it or was there a big ramp up in terms of writing there was but we were writing the show at the same time so i don't think we stopped down at all so we were writing long term for the special for months but also 
we were writing the show. So then when we got there, we had a lot of like the rewriting and stuff like that to do. And then you just get stuff on its feet and find out stuff doesn't work and you have to rewrite it and that aspect of it. That's like very heavy political writing. Was that, has politics ever been kind of a passion of yours or or an interest at least, or did you have to like do a lot of research as well? I was, I always aware of politics. Like my parents are, you know, always very interested in politics and we would watch the news and talk about it, you know, around the dinner table or whatever. So I was always aware of it. And then also coming out of an academic background, I already had the ability to sort of reason an argument out of facts, which is what that is. You just, I don't see how that relates to politics. (laughs) (laughs) It does for exactly half of us. Um, (laughs) But I did have to get more like 24 seven immersed in it than I ever wanted to be. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Cause that's kind of a double edged sword. (laughs) Do you still follow politics that much or have you gotten to? I mean, I follow it the amount of a normal person. I don't follow it like I did at that time. Like I literally would be, the news would be on from 6 a.m. till midnight every day while I had that job. And I don't do that anymore, obviously. Wow. That was kind of tough though, because that show is only one night a week. So I bet things you'd see on a Thursday or Friday, you'd be like, oh, this is a great topic. Especially nowadays, by Monday, it might seem like, old news, you know? Yeah, especially Friday, because the Trump administration tends to go nuts every Friday. Right, yeah. And you're like, well, we it'll be gone. Every other yeah, show will get a yeah. bite at it before we get mm-hmm. to it. But I always really liked writing the longer-term pieces about, uh-huh. like, more ongoing issues. So that's the stuff that I would, like, volunteer for more so than the day-to-day. Right, things that were more evergreen. Yeah, oh, reproductive yeah. health, stuff like that right. that you can, like right on for a couple of weeks. That's very evergreen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to bring us up to date, you're writing for a Black Lady Sketch Show, which is on HBO, also nominated for an Emmy. Congratulations again. Three Emmys. <laughs> you have a pretty good streak. Yeah, you can't miss Angela Bassett, okay? Angela Bassett is nominated for an Emmy. Of course. For uh, the bitch sketch. Yeah. <laughs> which is a hilarious sketch. And then your director was not... Ed- yeah. I mean, there's so much about your show and, and one of the great things about it is the the directing. I mean, it's really well done. It's so good. And I'm so excited that she got nominated. Her name's Dime Davis. Great first name. Dime Davis. So much of the discussion is like, she's the first black woman nominated in this category. But also like, if you watch the show, she is directing on a level I've never seen in sketch before. Like it's not amazing because she's black. It's amazing because no one's done this with sketch. And I mean, the show is gorgeous. Yeah, it is. There's so many genres. I mean, and everything is so Mm -hmm. specific. Like the look of it is all so specific to the genre. And you traverse so many different areas in one episode. Yeah, and we shot the season so fast. There were days where we shot two or three sketches in a day. Wow. Even just the hair and makeup changes, like going from a completely different set, location, genre, way of shooting everything in one day is insane. Wow, yeah. Well, no, we've talked a lot about how it's, especially when you're starting out, it's so nice to have kind of a, like a, a just a group of people that you're, that you're coming up with, that you're all uh, helping each other out because when somebody gets a break, they're going to help everybody else, you know? So you're, you're kind of, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. You're waiting for someone to get the, the break. 
and people that you can just ask, like, is this normal? Like, right. my boss did this thing. Is this supposed to happen? <laughs> Yeah, like how much money are you making? Yes, my, I love talking. I mean, me and my girlfriends all, it's a complete open door policy. Oh, you just sold a script. How much did you sell it for? Like you, Oh, that's great. You have to tell each other. Yeah, that's really smart because there's not a lot of, I mean, that that's just not a, an open book in Hollywood, especially. No, I don't tell my wife how much I make. <laughs> I feel like you should. Yeah, no, she knows. I saw you and the other writers for our Black Lady Sketch Show doing, um, you did a panel for the WGA. And one thing you talked about was that everyone sort of brought different, like a different genre. Like you were all kind of masters of, of different areas of comedy. What was the genre that you kind of wanted to focus on there or that you brought? I wouldn't say that I had this thought going into it, but it was reflected back to me that a lot of my stuff is like rom-com. Oh. Like the viral proposal and um, the Patti LaBelle sketch and stuff like that. And that wasn't something that I thought about going into it. But what was so cool about that staff is like, because everyone was so different and so good at something, you could look around and go, okay, what's missing? As opposed to being like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm doing this. You're like, oh, this is covered. This is covered. This is covered. What's left that I want to see. And then also knowing that I was also going to perform on the show. I want to see plus size black women in rom-com. So let's write some and make them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was really like, what are all the things that I have wanted to see black women doing in comedy and trying to touch each of those genres, which I feel like we did a pretty good job of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because And you also wrote another, one of my favorite sketches, the Invisible Spy mm-hmm. sketch, which is not a rom-com genre, but... Well, can I ask... So, okay, one thing that we, we've we talked about before is that at the Conan show, the writers also produce all of our own sketches. So was that an element at uh, Black Lady Sketch Show, or was it like, you know, finish your script like print it and hand it off kind of to the production team. Yeah. On full frontal, I did. We did produce a lot of our own stuff on black lady sketch show. Not at all, because also we're completely done writing before production starts. So by the time we're shooting the show, people are like on another job. Oh, wow. Unless you're in the sketches. Which, Unless you're yeah, in yeah. the show. So it is weird because uh, occasionally, and I've had this happen on a lot of shows, we'll be like, well, I think the writer meant this. And uh. you're like, um, it's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the four of you are really amazing. Like Robin's great. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to screw up her name. Is it Qu- Quinta or Quinta? Quinta, yeah. Quinta. She's great. And, and uh, it, Gabrielle and you are, I, you're great together. And everyone has... It's amazing. It's like, I feel like you're doing it. It feels the work. like more people. It yeah. It does seem like more people. I had the same reaction. Gabrielle seems like 15 people because she disappears so much into the role. I'll be like, where's Gabrielle? I'm like, she's right there. You're looking at her. Right. And Robin can play the guys too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And she loves to. Oh my God. <laughs> she, her male characters are hilarious. Was there ever a question about, because it's very, I mean, like the production level so high and it's so ambitious in terms of like the scale of all the sets and stuff. Was there talk of, okay, that's out of the budget or like. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's actually not a huge budget. I think they just did a really good job of making it look like a lot of money. Yeah. It looks expensive. (laughs) Yeah. It looks more expensive than it is, but yeah, there were definitely, I think the biggest thing, I think this is true on a lot of shows though, is music. It's very hard to pay for music. Oh yeah. Pre-existing music, third party music. Yeah. So a lot of times you have an idea in your head as a writer, especially this show, 
because it is so much commenting on culture, but there was a very limited number of songs we could have across. So it's truly like if you get this song in this sketch, it's going to come out of another sketch. Yeah. Well, and it's so hard sometimes. I mean, we've run into this a lot where you're like, I really want this sort of specific sound of a, of music, but it's it's really hard to imitate that when you're like if you're getting stock music, it so rarely sounds like the thing that you want. Yes. Or it sounds like a really obvious knockoff and then that's bad too. And then you're just like, oh, it sounds like we couldn't afford it, which we couldn't. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm also like known when I was on Full Frontal, the line producer would always shake his head on me because I was the quote unquote most expensive writer. Uh. And then um, (laughs) that was also the case on Black Lady Sketch Show. And then I went on Bless This Mess, which is on ABC. And I was like, I'm on network TV now. I can fly free. And after I wrote my episode, they were like, if we produce this episode, we won't be able to produce any more episodes. So I guess (laughs) I'm just a really expensive writer. (laughs) Bankrupting networks. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I love I love like your pictures up in every line produce everyone who runs the money for a show. <laughs> well, I love that though cuz I think I sometimes limit my writing based on just having been told no so many times or like right. producing my own stuff and be like, "No, you know, I know it's going I'm going to have to duct tape this together and It gets in your head. So yeah, it it is it's not good to limit yourself. Yeah. 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 I'm a big I go big and then pull it back. Exactly. You can always scale down. That's smart. Yeah, and that's what was so great about starting in late night because you do get so much production experience that I know, like I know how much it costs to set someone on fire. And so (laughs) you should tell your boyfriends that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You better watch it. I know how much it costs. Yeah, Um, and you have to pay every time you do it, so that is should be comforting to the boyfriend. Um, (laughs) You do kind of know like how you can finagle things after you've done it a couple of times. Isn't it weird? The weird particulars you're learning about like how much it cost yeah to douse someone in flames it's my favorite thing to ask like on set i'll just like lean over to someone and be like how much did this cost <laughs> yeah we're gonna find out that ashley is a serial killer and she's just <laughs> doing right. it out in the open for so long have do you ever worry about <laughs> the fbi coming because of things you yeah. because of your job? why no ashley we don't what's a good place to bury things <laughs> right. in the desert yeah <laughs> Where no one will find them. That's why she's always moving. It's like, ah, uh, I had to leave L.A. and move to New York for a while. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm back in L.A., but... Until the heat's <laughs> off. <laughs> well, Ashley, we love to ask people on this podcast for a piece of advice. I feel like you've already given a few, but for somebody who is coming up, wants to maybe get their first writing gig, uh, if you have a piece of advice for that person. I feel like now is a really tough time to want to enter this business, just like given the COVID of it all. The good thing about being a writer is you can write from wherever you are. So right now I would advise people, rather than coming out here, there's no production going on, there's, there's nothing going on here. Stay where you are and write, 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 and have like a great portfolio of whether it's scripts, sketches, whatever it is you want to do, so that when you do get out here, you already have this like, body of work because I came here from Chicago and because that's where I trained it's comedy but it's comedy with that like midwestern work ethic so everyone I knew was like doing shows every night of the week that's just the Chicago thing and writing and and working so hard and when I got to LA I realized that like having a couple of scripts under my belt and a bunch of stage time put me 
so miles ahead of a lot of people I was competing with who are definitely more attractive. <laughs> but like I would go on audition. I remember one audition specifically I went on. It said we we're going to improvise in the audition. So I'm sitting in this room waiting to audition. Every woman is, you know, 95 pounds soaking wet in four inch heels. They're all gorgeous. I came in in jeans and a T-shirt and Chuck Taylors because they said we were going to improvise. Yeah. <laughs> and when I walked in. That's the that's uniform. That's the uniform. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I did the audition and the lady was like, oh, my God, you can improvise. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> this don't call in the four-inch heels ladies when you want improvisers. Right. Those are models. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can be like so intimidating to come out here. But if you come out with like a portfolio of work and some reps behind you, you'll get seen pretty quickly because a lot of people don't have that. So it can feel like a really tough time right now because you can't necessarily just like move to LA and start your dream right now. But this is a great time for prep so that when you do get here, you're kind of ahead of the class. Yeah, that's great advice. Because I mean, I think there's a lot of people who people have reached out to me and, you know, they want to be writers, but they're in their minds. I think they're like, once I get the job, then I'll do the work. Yeah. They don't realize how much free writing you have to do first before you get paid for it. First and during. And during. Yeah. Me and my friends who have now been in the game for a while, if you're trying to sell a show or something, you're doing a lot of free writing. Like you better freaking love to write. (laughs) Yes. For the sake of writing. Yeah. Or even like I was talking about on late night, writing stuff just to throw it away because the president did something differently crazy. And that's the thing we're going to like, you're not getting paid for the majority of writing you're doing. Totally. And you have to be okay with that piece of writing just going away. And it's probably never going to see the light of day. (laughs) Yep. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being here. It was great talking to you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure talking to you. Good luck at the Emmys. Yeah, they'll be right here in my home. <laughs> yeah, what? Do, are you still going to get dressed up? What happened? Um, I don't know. I haven't thought about it, but maybe I'll dress up my top half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think virtual Emmys, that's just as good, if not better. More comfortable, for sure. There's a point in every Emmys where every part of my body hurts. Because, like, was women were wearing very restrictive Spanx, garments. Yeah. yeah. And then also <laughs> the chairs are uncomfortable. And it's hard to go to the bathroom, so you're right. not drinking. And, like, by midway through it, I'm just like, every part that I have hurts. And some parts right. I didn't know I had. And this one, at least half of me will be in sweatpants. So. <laughs> Yay. I was going to say, you can wear your improv outfit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. We'll be rooting for you. Yes, good luck. And hope to see you in the next season of Black Lady Sketch Show and maybe on a Netflix rom-com. I don't know. I'm just going to put that (laughs) in the video. Yes, the people want. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, see you. Bye. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, guys. So that was Ashley Nicole Black. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. You're pleasure talking with you. Yes. And you, our listener, can watch episodes of A Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO Max. Ta-da! They're there now. We have a new listener question. Oh, it's from someone named Paul Day. That's a great name. And he starts off, Hey, y'all. Love the podcast. Something I keep wondering about listening to this podcast and Conan Needs a Friend and following the rabbit hole of comedy writers on podcasts in general, I keep hearing a packet mentioned. What all is involved in putting together a packet as a comedy writer? Is it a bunch of jokes? Do you have to really set the scene like writing an entire script? 
Thank you. Keep up the more than mediocre work. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. I'll take that. I will take that. This is a great question because I think we do talk about that a lot. We assume everyone knows what that means. Like it's a, a CV. Yes. A packet is short for writer's submission packet. Yes. Which you usually need to get a job on a show unless your father hosts the show or... <laughs> or you have incriminating photographs. Exactly. Blackmail is always another way to go. But failing that, you, you usually have to write a packet. Yeah. And, and the requirements can all... They're always different for every show. So every late night show has a different set of packet requirements. And that's a good point. If you're interested in writing for a late night show or any type of show, I I mean, one of the key things to do is to actually spend a lot of time getting to know that show. Watching the show. Yeah. Supposedly, if if you really like the show, you've already done that. So you, you already kind of feel like, oh, I feel simpatico with this show. I feel like my sense of humor would work for that show. Yeah, what some of their segments are, who the characters are. Right. So yeah, it's ideally you're not just changing the title of the show and your packet and then sending it off to a new show. Right, which which has happened. Yeah, people do that all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people have done submissions to our show with, you know, it's like, and then Jimmy... Tells Guillermo, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, what's the packet requirement for our show it's pretty simple it would be 10 to 12 new ideas for the show in paragraph form for sketches and the instructions would be kind of the only detail would be you know if if you want to add a joke or two to help sell the idea you can add that as well to the pitch so basically they're pitches in paragraph form yeah you don't have to write out the full script but you have to kind of right you set the table for what the sketch is about and then you write a few beats of the sketch like these are some examples of jokes you would do in the sketch we used to do more desk pieces but you could do a desk piece you set up very easily with just like you know new quarters <laughs> right and a desk piece is you know what it sounds like it used to be when conan had a desk yeah and then those you just do a long list of of jokes, because that's what those pieces are. They're right. We call them joke buckets. And, and now another writing packet would be if you're applying, you know, some late night shows are just looking specifically for monologue writers. It's a slightly different skill set. I, I mean, obviously, there are writers who are great at both monologue and writing sketch uh, ideas and scripts, but sometimes shows are just looking for monologue writers as well. And in that situation, on our show, it would be send us a page or two of topical jokes. Yeah, and they should probably mostly be fresh so that right. you you can tell that someone's written them recently. And we usually, we don't even send them the premises. It's just people would kind of have to dig up the premises and then write the, the punchlines for the jokes. Right, which is kind of part of it, is knowing what would be good material for a punchline. Right. And then, you know, it's funny, like sometimes people would send in submissions for a monologue job, but then the job wouldn't actually come up for like nine months and you'd have it on file. But you know what? You would read those jokes and go, oh, I remember this week. Yes, exactly. I remember all of these premises. Oh, Anthony Scaramucci. That's right. Right, Exactly. And you know what? (laughs) If the jokes are good, even though the premises are dated, you could still read them and go, oh, you know what? On these old subjects, these jokes are really funny takes. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about the the person reading the jokes will understand 
that it's dated. Yeah. But it is good, I think, if you if you want to do that for a living, to start just writing jokes every day because the I was so shocked by the volume of jokes that the monologue writers put out every day. Writing up to 50 jokes a day. Yeah. Oh, no, it's the the um, success rate. It it basically boils down by the time the show gets on the air, I'd say one in 10. Yeah. I think we've mentioned this before on the show, but that is, I think, one of the most, probably the most shocking thing to maybe learn about if you're going into comedy writing. And the same thing for stand-up comics. Throw that out. Right. You're just throwing stuff out all the time. Right. So it's good to get used to that early. Yes. Writing for for nobody to ever read. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Paul. Um, and if anybody else has questions for us, you can email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. Or uh, please give us a phone call and leave a voice message at 323-209-5303. Yeah, we promise no one will pick up. You can just leave a message. All right. Well, that's our show for the week. Yeah. All right. Take care. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Becton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.